and annual memorial lecture on Achima Feje. Um, I would like to not waste further time and request that the, the lecture be formally opened by our acting CEO, Professor Likeness Simbai. So Prof, I'm over to you, thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Felissa. Uh, uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, the Deputy Minister of Higher Education, Science and Technology, Mr. Butima Nemela, uh, Principal and Vice-Chancellor of the University of South Africa, Professor Pulang Lenkagula, uh, University of Free State uh, Quaker Campus, uh, Vice-Principal, Professor Pell Sitole, uh, invited esteemed panelists, uh, participants. It gives me a great pleasure to welcome you on behalf of the Human Sciences Research Council, uh, particularly our Africa Institute of South Africa as organizers of the event to the annual Achimofeja Memorial Lecture. The memorial lecture for Professor Archibald Oaki uh, Monabisi Mafeje is of importance to us as a research council because of his legacy for generations of African scholars to come. Uh, he had an inquiring mind, uh, questioned perceived knowledge. Uh, and produce cutting edge research, which continues to shape the intellectual thought of many scholars even today. The HSRC's Africa Institute of South Africa, along with its partners, has sought to honor the work of one of Africa's greatest scholars through this lecture series, in which we not only disseminate his ideas but we also converse on key issues of the day, which relate to some of his writings. Today, we are asked to think deeper about the questions he posited about Africans and Africanity and all decolonization. Indeed, his interrogation on self-determination remain crucial as we grapple with pathways for Africa's development and the place of Africa uh, in determining uh, this. It is not my intention to delve deep into the discourse of Professor Mafeje's debates and ideologies, but I'm hopeful that given the richness of experts here today, we will take this uh, a step further and in interrogate knowledge production today, especially in relation to universities as to science, technology, engineering, and mathematics disciplines, which are collectively known as STEM. We are honored to have many esteemed guests join us for today's lecture. Uh, the Deputy Minister of Higher Education, Science and Technology, Mr. Manamela, as I said earlier, uh, will join me in this session by making some opening remarks 
with regards to how we can think about decolonizing STEM education and innovation and challenge pedagogical structures that maintain superficial divisions between STEM and the arts and humanities. I would also like to acknowledge Professor Puleng Lenkabula, Principal and Vice Chancellor of University of South Africa. I think it's not too late to congratulate you uh, on this new journey you, you have recently embarked on at the helm of one of the largest universities in the world. I also wish to give a special welcome to Professor Pell Stolle, uh, who is a former colleague of ours here at the HSRC, who is one of the vice principals at the University of the Free State. Uh, she will be making our keynote address today. Uh, we are really grateful that both of you can join us. Our esteemed panelists, Dr. Owino Kedge, who will be chairing the panel, uh, Professor Debayo Olokushi, who uh, happens to be a, a former board member of the HSRC and a very close friend of the HSRC, uh, Professor Edith Baswana, Dr. Mpo Chivase, thank you for availing yourselves. And also thank you to the Marfeji family represented here today by Ms. Bonnie Swana. Uh, they have been with us since the start of this lecture series many years ago. The Human Sciences Research Council is sought to be at the cutting edge of knowledge production on poverty and inequality in South Africa and indeed uh, in Africa. Our approach has been trans and interdisciplinary and we, are therefore, we therefore bring together STEM and the humanities and social sciences together in our quest to make sense of the challenges that confront us today and how to overcome them. We are at one with scholars such as Professor Mafeji, who sought to use knowledge for the purpose of social change. Uh, the natural sciences and the social sciences must work more collaboratively to achieve both a more prosperous, uh, prosperous and peaceful Africa. It is my hope and belief that you will find the discussions here today useful and that you engage us beyond this event so that we collab collaboratively produce the decolonized knowledge that Professor Mafeji and many others before and after him have been calling for, and that it charts more context-specific and relevant pathways for our future development. Lastly, I uh, would like to acknowledge the uh, HSRC's Africa Institute of South Africa, or AISA as commonly known, for putting together this lecture annually without fail. 
Furthermore, I would also like to be cognizant of the fact that this is the first time this year we are hosting a female keynote speaker to address us on this auspicious occasion. So I would like to note it as a point of celebration as we commemorate uh, Professor Mafiji. Without any further ado, uh, hereby declare this lecture in honor uh, of Professor Mafiji open. I do hope you will feel welcome as we appreciate your presence and participation in this important event. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Prof. Lightness, for that warm welcome. And uh, let me also apologize to the participants. Um, I did not introduce myself, so I probably have taken advantage that you have received the program. So my name is Palisa Sakhajani. I am um, part of the Human Sciences Research Council, and for today I am serving as the program director, although I will give um, ropes to uh, Dr. Awino Akech um, for moderating the session. Without further ado, I would like to welcome or request um, the Deputy Minister Butimanamela to also um, uh, few, make a few remarks with regards to the significance of the lecture and also welcome um, today's guests. Thank you. Over to you, uh, Deputy Minister. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh... Uh, program director, uh, and uh, let me firstly uh, acknowledge the acting CEO of the Human Science Research Council, Professor Lekna Simbai, um, and also um, extend greetings to the principal and vice chancellor of UNISA, uh, Professor Puleng Lenkabula, uh, keynote speaker today, uh, and as noted by the CEO. Uh, being the first woman uh, to present this uh, uh, Achima, annual Achima Feche uh, lecture, uh, Professor Percy Tolle. The Mafeje family members present uh, as represented by Ms. Bonnie Swana, uh, our panelists today, honored guests, ladies and gentlemen. I must say that I really appreciate the opportunity to come and share my perspective on the importance of this prestigious memorial lecture for one of the greatest African intellectuals of the modern era, Professor Archibald Monodisima Feje. And I think this gives us an opportunity to reflect on the importance of the continuity of uh, knowledge, of knowledge production, of inquiries that uh, 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 Professor Mafeje had dedicated his life to and some of the ideas that he prompted in his lifetime are still continuing uh, to be influencing some of the political uh, and social discourse that were engaged into uh, both as a nation, uh, but also as a continent and as the world. This is quite important because in many instances, we tend to reflect on uh, knowledge, uh, but also on engagements of uh, issues that we are currently engaged with uh, as a society uh, to assume that uh, all of this uh, are new. Uh, and therefore, I think it's important that we reflect on that uh, continuity 
of knowledge production and engagement with those kind of ideas and borrow the uh, kind of analysis and the context within which uh, Professor Mafeje uh, engaged with those issues and how relevant uh, they are to the current uh, generation. This, of course, uh, speaks exactly to the uh, subject of uh, today, uh, which uh, deals with the question of uh, coloniality and decoloniality, which uh, Professor Mafeje dedicated most of his political theory uh, you know, towards introspection and towards uh, uh, engagement. And I think therefore it's important that as the current generation, we borrow from his accession, but also use that to interpret the kind of challenges that we're faced with as a society. As you might be aware, the 1000 year old project of Arab and European invasion of Africa did not just result in Africans being taken captive enslaved and dispersed across the world. It also resulted in some of Africa's knowledge, knowledge systems and knowledge institutions being stolen and plagiarized and some of it, some of it destroyed and later rep re, uh, represented to us as new forms of knowledge. This is particularly true of Africa's relationship with Europe. Now to sustain this deception for a long time, some of Europe's most revered scholars um, have perpetuated the falsehood that Africans are incapable of any meaningful thought and have made no meaningful contribution to the body of human knowledge. And some of us have been persuaded that this is the case, but it was the dedication of Professor Mafeje to expose the uh, history of knowledge production in our continent and the fact that some of the concepts which he deemed as being imposed or falsely borrowed uh, from European uh, 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 knowledge processes uh, were essentially uh, either uh, falsified or misrepresented uh, as new and sometimes consumed by African intellectuals as new knowledge without any criticism. And I think we would uh, recall his inquiry on the notion and concept of the tribe and how, although in Africa tribes or organization of communities in Africa has been persistent for so many years, but that the representation of the notion and concept of tribes was uh, essentially uh, reintroduced to the continent as a way to balkanize and divide uh, Africans. And in this inquiry, uh, uh, it was important for Professor Mafeje uh, to highlight uh, the uh, fact that we need to uh, 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 Africanize this concept or root them within the practices of uh, uh, African knowledge and how Africans organized their society. And the same applies to concepts such as uh, peasants, uh, you know, and concepts such as land and agrarian reform, which he sought to investigate how Africans have organized themselves along those lines for years, and that there is uh, a, a distinct nature in the way in which uh, Africans organize their production, reproduction uh, process, and also uh, you know, in uh, how uh, the distinction between the economic terms which were imposed uh, or externally borrowed, and how those 
distorted the uh, way in which uh, uh, Africans organized their communities. In the context of these observations, it becomes clearer why a person like Ashima Feje is so important to us as Africans. One of the uh, prominent Mafeje scholars, uh, Dr. Bongani Nyoka, summarizes the intellectual importance of Mafeje as follows. And I quote, Mafeje scholarship can be categorized into three broad areas, a critique of epistemological and methodological issues in the social sciences, the land and agrarian question in sub-Saharan Africa, and revolutionary theory and politics, including questions of development and uh, democracy. From a study of Mafeja's work, it becomes clearer that he is without doubt one of the greatest African thinkers of our time, and that his greatness does not uh, spring from the many accolades with which he continues to be showered, but rather in the breadth and depth of his thought, his intellectual integrity, and his courage to stand outside Western cognitive access. But even more important, his bravery in differing with his own peers of the time. This is quite crucial because in many instances, we tend to conform to institutionalized forms of knowledge, of social relations, or even of political institutions. The fact that Mafeja himself did not subscribe in particular uh, to these uh, organized forms of knowledge and of ideas uh, made him one of those who were ahead of the rest. And I think it poses also for us an important question whether the institutionalization of knowledge production, the institutionalization of social relations, but also the institutionalization of politics has not really led to making all of these important streams which he made, his, he committed his life towards uh, uh, investigating. Whether has this not made it the exclusive uh, privilege of uh, individuals who are involved in these uh, uh, institutions. And I think this is very crucial precisely because many uh, forms of knowledge and knowledge processes or political thought of, critis or of criticism of uh, social relations as they evolved uh, in society have essentially been the reserve of those and, uh, you know, uh, and, and therefore assumed a particular form uh, you know, of, uh, of tiring. And I think this uh, kind of uh, approach by Mafeja uh, instructs us as the current generation to begin to look outside of all of this institutionalized and organized forms of society. And yes, many can argue that institutions are important in restoring order. Uh, but do we uh, need to uh, subscribe and conform to the orderly nature within which institutions impose on society if we are really going to be finding new forms of knowledge uh, which uh, will help us navigate through the new challenges that we're confronted with in our society. For instance, I'd like to pick on one on what I think is one of the uh, uh, you know, most crucial challenges that Mafeja and his peers continued to engage with. The whole question of uh, transitions from uh, coloniality into uh, imperialism and ultimately 
leading into a situation wherein we all liberate. And that he, although uh, was and remained a political activist to the end, refused to conform to what uh, political institutions and in particular political parties uh, uh, subscribed to as a theory. Uh, and therefore in his inquiry uh, came up with very interesting notions of how societies should transition, uh, you know, by taking into consideration the local context and the local challenges that those societies were uh, faced with. And from a study of Mafeja's work, as I said, it becomes uh, clearer that he is without doubt one of our greatest African thinkers of our time. He empowers us with this epistemological understanding that as Africans, and in particular as African scholars will be unable to make any meaningful contribution to the body of human knowledge while we remain comfortable with a situation where we are merely regurgitators of Western forms of thought and pedagogic practices. Mafeja's work forces us to radically think, rethink our traditional understanding of the social sciences and their role in resolving complex epistemological questions, as well as what our understanding of the ontology of Africans should be. Mafeja's phenomenological approach depends our conception of the discourses of Africanization and decolonization. In the, era, in the area of revolutionary theory, Mafeja helps us to rethink our understanding of land ownership and agrarian practices and their connection to colonialism, neocolonialism, and capitalism. And in the South African context, he helps us to understand that the national question can be resolved, cannot be resolved in isolation, for instance, from the land question. Even when he decided to enter academia on a full-time basis, Mafeje did not abandon his political activism, but sought to fuse it with his scholarly endeavors to help us find solutions to some of the most agent problems that humanity and Africans in particular are grappling with. He did not subscribe to the narrow view that academic work should be apolitical or the belief that political activists should not concern themselves with scholarship. As we know, some of the greatest known scholarly works were produced by political activists. For instance, what do we say to the fact that it was the student activists of South Africa and not the academics who recently sharpened the discourse of the decolonization of education in South Africa. To, uh, the stated objectives of this lecture are to explore Africanity as a tangible decol decolonization pathway towards relevant science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and innovation for Africa's progress, but also to reflect on Africa's response to and interpretations of pandemics and to provide recommendations on how African institutions can participate in the science revolution through, pedagog through pedagogy and practice. If we are to achieve these objectives and to live up to the intellectual and scholarly rigor that of Ashima Feje, then we must be prepared to ask ourselves these difficult and penetrating questions about where we as Africans find ourselves today, 14 years after his passing. Other events, for instance, that are happening in the Pan-African Parliament intended to further uh, divide uh, and intended to further crumble any attempt for African unity. 
at the most basic level, when we teach African children science, for instance, and technology, engineering, and mathematics, to what extent does our teaching expose African young people to the contribution of African geniuses, such as Imhotep of ancient Egypt, Ahmed Baba, and the Kintu scholars of Timbuktu in Mali? To what extent is the work done by our public medical research institution ensuring that the African continent does not continue to rely on non-Africans for scientific knowledge and technologies that should enable us to respond to pandemics and other social challenges? Or to put it differently, how do we, by borrowing knowledge produced elsewhere, integrate or interpret that knowledge produced elsewhere in order for it to fit the context of our continent and also of our country and using that to define or locate uh, you know, these challenges and therefore define the future of our continent. If we are to commemorate the life and work of someone like Ashima Feja meaningfully, there are some of the, these are some of the questions I believe we should be grappling with. And I'm sure that you, as social scientists and scholars whose dedication is towards uh, producing ideas or engaging with existing ideas have many more questions that we need to be pondering. And I trust that this gathering will be fruitful and will, sh will shatter a few conventional ideas in the spirit of Achi Mafeje. I hope that we have a successful lecture and from this we can emerge with much more firmer and strong ideas on how do we take our continent forward and how do we unpack the concepts of decoloniality and how do we arm the youth of our country in building a united and prosperous continent. Thank you for listening. Thank you very much, um, Deputy Minister, for those remarks. Um, I'm, 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 I'm quite grateful that they do touch on um, the theme of today and indeed what we continue to struggle and grapple with um, as the continent with regards to um, utilization of knowledge practically and, um, and also um, imagining and uh, putting it out there pedagogically for our um, engagement. So, um, and also I think um, today's lecture was conceived with um, the Department of um, Education, Science and Technology in mind for the fact that um, I think the era we are at now requires of us to, 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 to really um, build that strong um, inter and transdisciplinarity in order for us to make sure that we can um, uh, respond to the challenges we find ourselves in, uh, especially because of the pandemic that has really uh, made us uncomfortable and um, asked of us to, to, to really hasten um, utilization of knowledge and, and, and so on. So without further um, waste of time, I would like to welcome or call upon um, our keynote address, Professor Pelsi Tolle. Professor Mbilo uh, Pelsitole is a social anthropologist by training and has interest on issues of governance, gender and development, the politics of knowledge production and social inequality. She has worked uh, with various academic and research institutions in South Africa and has delved into public service, consulting and civil society as well. Her writings include a book titled Unequal Peers the Politics of Discourse Management in the Social Sciences in 2009, and a number of journal articles on governance and development, including the recently published one, The Impact of COVID-19 Pandemic on Developmentalism. 
Professor Sitola's scholarship has been shaped by the struggle in academia, which is, is where which is where she found in, an inspiration from Professor Achima Fejem, emerging from doldrums of Bantustan education for her schooling, the grandeur of Cambridge University for her doctorate. She has been pushed into conversations about knowledge relationships and knowledge formats, especially insofar as, as African scholarship is concerned and how those formats protect the capitalist diaspora, a term she coined recently. She is currently the vice principal of academia of academic and research in the Kwako campus of University of Free State, a seasoned thinker in both theory and applied social science. Professor Sitole has been part of commissions, councils and boards and boards that enrich institutional practice. In 2011, she was recognized by the National Department of Science and Technology with a Women in Science Award. Uh, Professor Sitole, um, welcome and thank you very much. We are very excited to have you deliver this keynote address. Um, over to you. Thank you very much, um, um, Dr. Uh, I am very uh, excited to be here. I feel like I have come back home uh, to the HSRC. I would like to, um, uh, to greet the Deputy Minister of Higher Education and Science and Innovation, uh, Honorable Putima uh, Namela the acting CEO of the uh, HSRC, uh, Professor uh, Simbai, a former colleague of mine, Professor uh, Puleng Lengabula, the principal, the vice chancellor and principal of UNISA, uh, the Mafeje family, and all of the panelists and the colleagues that are here that I might not uh, be able to recognize by designation in this short space of time. I'm really humbled to be with you in this uh, setting and in addressing a gallant um, scholar and reflecting on his work the way that I hear you do annually and the way in, in which it is quite a deserved um, honor to the kind of person that he was. Let me start by appreciating the conceptualization of this lecture by the HSRC and uh, the Africa Institute, because um, I think we are at a time now when we can capitalize on the amount of work that has already been done to understand the scholar that uh, Professor Mafeche was. And it is time to push for the implications of his work for the current context. In fact, it is urgent now that we do so. I also really think that it is time to reflect upon the question of the relationship between STEM and humanities. I know that in your concept, you eventually wrote STEM and innovation, but I want to restore your original conceptualization on the reflection of STEM and the humanities. As a student, I was marveled, I was, I was, I was always marveling the kind of, of Puma Silwe, the combative anthropology that um, 
uh, was eventually coined out of the work of Professor Mafeji. I, I have um, looked at his work as a young um, student and a scholar in the making many years ago. And what struck me at that time was how he made African scholarship to be, to have a right to be. It was a sea of um, academe and knowledge production space in those years, and maybe to some extent to, to, today as well, where research, uh, Africa was projected really as a research site, an experimentation laboratory, and at best allows people to, of African descent and on African continent to participate in a way that was heavily um, mitigated and guarded by theories from elsewhere. So it was quite refreshing to stumble upon an African that asserts that African intellectualism is, has a right to be and has a right to judge and to judge the way um, others have projected Africa. But after a, a, a while and in, in being in, in academe and entering the space and eventually wrestling with the issues myself, the pride that I have um, for the work of um, Professor Mafeje and the generation that he belongs to, there were some that I often cite, began to be a point of shyness on my part because the intellectual strides that they left behind have not quite been used optimally. And I dare say that we have, we have done a, we have committed a crime, the subsequent generations of building a ghetto over a strong foundation. And this is what I'm going to be putting here today and um, putting forward and demonstrating a little bit, but nevertheless hurrying to say, what are the implications of this and what do we need to do today? Because I think that the conceptualization of this lecture allows us to do that. So the roadmap in terms of, 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 of the argument of today and the, 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 the things that I want to depict and posit to you is really um, about um, demonstrating a little bit and I won't be able to spend a lot of time. I'm very grateful that the deputy minister's summary of Mafeje has done justice to the kind of person that uh, he is. Uh, no justice can be saved in a few minutes. However, I think he's projected his combative um, scholarship uh, fairly well. I'm going to uh, therefore cover the thrill of uh, the on over the Mafeche scholarship, not discuss the scholarship, but why it is that it was significant to stumble upon this scholar. Uh, what was the context within which this was happening? And then run into the knowledge conquer and society, because actually 
uh, being the kind of scholar that he was, he did struggle um, activism and scholarship. And, and there's a reason behind that in the manner in which knowledge conquer and society uh, had an impact on society. And then I, I want to speak quite urgently about the epistemic conquer and the science functionaries. Uh, it is heartwarming to me to hear a patron of these institutions um, talking about us critiquing institutionalization um, the way that the deputy minister has. And then of course, I do want to be specific about the partnerships and the ratings and measurement of what we produce that actually has must be examined in order for us to move forward in using the critique offered and proffered by Professor Mafeje as we move forward and the implications of this for the multiple agenda that is before us. And so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I have carved this lecture as not yet Uhuru, the multiple agendas for African scholarship in the 21st century. The first space that I want to start off with was the context within which this scholarship emerged. You have to realize that socially, as in terms of positionality of Africa, we hail from a time when there were all sorts of schools of thought, except the African school of thought in any shape. We, especially in anthropology, had uh, studies in kinship that projected the British school of thought, the American school of thought, and even versions within these countries in terms of the universities having traditions of their own. And we speak of Manchester School of Thought and Cambridge School of Thought. It was endless. Uh, I have not even mentioned many countries. And yet when anything African was projected in terms of knowledge, it was regarded as primordialist or it was um, advancing ethnicity and tribalism. And of late, it was also, uh, it is associated with indigenous knowledge in its sub-knowledge um, meaning as an esoteric and merely interesting sense of the term. That's where, and it was then during that time and, and uh, of, of Mafeja's critique over many things, but it still is to some extent now, we've just modernized it somehow, uh, but it hasn't waned to not have a school of thought in terms of intellectualization. Secondly, practically, we hail from a time where Africans were eventually allowed to teach at universities, but were heavily mitigated uh, by validation of others, which is why I, always appreciate, and I don't know how, and uh, uh, Professor Villagaz's uh, insightful and uh, portrayal of how an African was always an assistant uh, during those times um, in, 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 the, in the last century, especially. And so we, 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 we still practically also today have that kind of dilemma. And insofar as 
black women are concerned, we can tell stories, but perhaps they will be stories for another day, a focused story. And then epistemologically, we actually had severe damage done on the African continent. And recently I have sought, I think uh, generalism is beginning to be one of the issues that bug me as perhaps it is too generic and people do not translate it into the, what actually it means. And so I have now ventured into pinpointing quite dangerously the specific disciplines that I have a gripe with when it comes to epistemological emasculation of Africans. And these are history, law, and economics in particular. I accuse history of allowing a change, especially in tenure principles, um, whilst excluding social principles uh, pertaining to kinship, communality, and mobility. Uh, there is a sophisticated argument on how that, was, that happened, but it used the advent of record of archives to do this. Law is being accused in terms of using that um, record and archiving to firm it up through conveyancing in particular and instituting individualism as an exclusive way of doing things generally and in particular of managing inheritance. And of course also of um, finally um, um, instituting what I call the constitutional mathematics, which now has landed us to an out of context polyandry completely. But because it's constitutional, it makes sense constitutionally, we shall persevere. And then of course, economics, um, for always lamenting an economic sneeze every time issues of historical redress are raised. You might wonder why, when I'm talking about someone who was so angry at anthropology, I divert attention to history, law, and economics. It is because I believe, and this is where we had some, um, uh, some um, disagreement with uh, some of uh, Professor Mafej's argument, because I think he was too angry at anthropology that he almost, just almost excused <laughs> some of the major players in, in framing the, 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 the emasculation of, the, of African um, epistemic integrity. So um, you will see all of these things and their implications on how science is trapped during the COVID-19 implication by these three disciplines in particular into dancing to the tune of the pharmaceuticals and the science fraternity is really locked into not asking pertinent questions of what it is that the African continent needs. That was by way of uh, just painting how um, the, 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 the scholarship of Professor Mafeje had implications for critical thinking around where um, we, 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 are, we are tied in terms of uh, chains uh, and, and they continue these chains not to make us think outside of the box in terms of challenging certain issues because they are linked to 
a capitalist diaspora because by contract of law, by uh, not wanting to jeopardize our economy and by um, uh, abiding by specific things that are on record, we can't actually really move. And so the, 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 the epistemic conquer and society is really where Mafeje posited that some of these things, and he was using anthropology, but that is very useful for many other disciplines, is that he said, he, he, he posited that actually it is the idea of alterity, of othering of the African continent that actually firmed up the kind of subjugation that we have. And it is the idea of removing African, Africanity, in other words, the right to be who we are as we analyze, that actually put us into this kind of, 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 of situation. And I won't go into all of his arguments. Some of them I did summarize, but they are really important even as we, trans, we take from anthropology's critique, the critique that he did there to the other disciplines and see how it is roughly the same issues that are, are, are putting us neatly in a box of productivity without productivity for ourselves. And so my argument is that um, these frames, they underpin the rest of science. And unless science as in the science, the hard sciences, finds a way of weaving in interdisciplinarity across the discipline formats, across the, the science formats, if social science is a different format, we will not actually move anywhere in terms of Uhuru, if I may put it that way. I therefore want also to say that in terms of um, uh, all of this, we, the scientists, especially the social scientists have been reduced to protest, what I call protest existentialism. We say all of these um, things that make us feel better because we've said them um, uh, in, in sophisticated language, uh, protesting against these kinds of dilemmas, these epistemic dilemmas. And sometimes that becomes our lifelong career actually. And, 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 and the, the one of the issues that you, you really would appreciate with Professor Mafeji is that he was able to sustain the epistemic justice debates at the same time serve what it is that he wants to say on very specific subjects, uh, including land and agriculture and all of those things and advance them. In other words, he asserted himself in the analysis as a scholar that double agenda is something that must characterize the, the African scholarship by way of the kind of Africanity that we find ourselves in. And we actually need to insert, even in our institutions, the agency of realizing that knowledge is politicized. And so it is important to point out that the epistemic conquer that was, has already been diagnosed by Professor Mafeje, has been advanced and diagnosed and demonstrated by 
uh, Professor Makubane and others continues to mutate in subtle ways to, till today. In fact, my suspicion is that we are worse off now than when they, we have actually done injustice in terms of taking what they dis, uh, diagnosed forward and move um, the, the agenda because of the mutation in subtle ways that hurries to highlight social justice issues, but at the same time continues to operate in ways that project hierarchies between countries and global capitalism as the only thing to serve in these rankings of societies in terms of plunder, knowledge production, beneficiation of knowledge, and targeted custom uh, consumers, which is really Africa. Uh, um, Africa, we continue to, to point out that Africa produces the, the raw material, gets beneficiated elsewhere, it gets sold back to Africa because of this mutation. And there's no time in which the social justice discourse is highly, is, is more highly um, propounded than now, and yet these injustices continue. I suggest that this is a, a, an issue of the mutation of the plunder um, through knowledge production in particular that fixes the hierarchy of who we are and we continue to be served in the way that we are served because economics does not allow us to demand the historical redress that we deserve. Colleagues, I don't want to demonstrate this mutation. Suffice to say, that it has a history. It comes back in modern, in a modern manner. It it, it, it started off. Uh, you can cite people like Robin Houghton, who used to um, claim that there is uh, the different schools of thought, the African closed school of um, sorry, uh, uh, closed um, 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 mindset, and the the Western open mindset, which was bizarre, but nevertheless, he was still republished in 1993, much to my disgust at, at Cambridge through tantrums, but I eventually learned that there are certain things that you won't come back home with if you throw too many tantrums. Fuguyama uh, must be cited, De Soto must be cited, Greg Mills uh, talking about why Africans are, are poor in a very economistic kind of way. Um, Mamdani, in terms of citizens and subjects, played into that 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 uh, game to some extent, and so the story goes. But I will not explain all of this. Maybe we can discuss it. And then there is the epistemic and the science functionaries. I hope I'm not doing too badly with time, um, um, program director, because I would really like to uh, explain a little bit what is the issue here. We love our NRF, the CHE, SAQA, not to mention the journals and their boards and editors, some professional bodies and so on. Actually, we need them. However, there is a need for these functionaries to actually reflect about how they propound a hugely guarded environment of knowledge commodification, into productivity units that actually serve the capitalist diaspora in very routinized ways of doing things and not reflecting on the inherited uh, institutional 
capital that they have. And so basically, uh, we need to find a way of restoring true freedom to think and write without heavy duty validation that I suspect they sometimes impose on the intellectuals. Uh, people need not be pen uh, heavily penalized for writing for a local museum without, that is actually not uh, perhaps credited. Um, because the other forums may actually have a lot of validation um, um, stakeholders that do not sit with our reality on a daily basis. They need to reflect on the forms of excellence that they impose and the criteria of excellence. Otherwise, we, we, we you know, how do we liberate the local science to take root and then hold conversations in its own right. How do we do that and encourage it for that matter? Um, the story of COVID-19 showed us something in front of the society and we, people were wondering uh, whether we actually have scientists. Why do we talk about rated scientists in the, in the era where when the worst uh, happens, all that they can do is to validate that things that come from elsewhere are safe. Um, the silences around the analysis of COVID-19, around the different environments and the, 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 the rate of infection and, and all sorts of things, not to imagine, not to even uh, talk about the, the, the elbowing of, um, of indigenous knowledge systems, and, and not being able even under terrible emergency circumstances to sit together with other professionals and, and use all sides of finding a solution. It, there are so many things that are puzzling out there, but um, the main illustrator of them is the dominance of the, the, the certain type of science, even in the National Corona uh, Command Center when it was, um, a, a busy mopping up this crisis. So um, we, we are in trouble to some extent. And I want to return to my accusation of the fact that we've created an epistemological ghetto when, when we have been given a firm foundation. Professor Mafeje left a legacy of a philosophy of being steadfast with scholarship and fighting the epistemic justice. And yet, Positionally, we have not asserted African schools of thought in any format, not even in a debatable way, actually. Practically, we have watered down evidence-based science to shun qualitative studies and thus seal the pact of subjugation. Because when you talk about subjugation, marginalization and discrimination of women and other uh, stakeholders, you actually require a a, an approach to research that deals with the manifestation of issues, the hows and the whys. And, 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 and so Black women in particular in academia will suffer in their own corner there because, I, am I in trouble? Um, <laughs> okay, I will, I will wrap up in, in four minutes. Um, Black women will suffer in a corner there because these have been shunned and, 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 and qualitative studies are no longer as prevalent as they, they used to be. Epistemologically, we continue to peckle formats that, have, we, that were donated by those disciplines. 
I really want to hint and not discuss the fact that um, all of these are hinging on the institutional capital of those uh, science functionaries. And in particular, the criteria for rating and measuring excellence. Um, if you look at what is often publicized of these, and I've looked at them in recent years, uh, about global reputation and about being cited and normalized citation index and so on, you can see that these are oblivious of the pioneer advantage of certain things. They are oblivious of the culture of citations that sees Africa as being in the back foot. They are also oblivious of the epistemic dissonance around certain forms of knowledge. And so who expects IKS to be rated highly by who? Who expects protest science to be ex uh, accepted in spaces that they critique and be rated highly? So in conclusion, um, a program director, you will be happy to, be, uh, to know, it is that um, I think that the best way to sum up the context that we are in is actually Letambuli's um, uh, not yet Uhuru, especially where she says, Bakona abanye bakiti abasibona seskulekile. Not yet Uhuru. And I hope I'm demonstrating that we are part of that Umshoshapans. She says there are those amongst us who believe that we are free, but the clandestine shadows suggest that there is not yet any freedom. And by that, I want to suggest that these, uh, and I'm citing them in, in point form, these five issues. The first is that we need to sustain the philosophy of being steadfast with scholarship and epistemic justice issues. The second is that to, we need to contribute to science from a local knowledge analytical standpoint and debate things, it's fine, but do that without being apologetic about it. Thirdly, we need to explore IKS and genuine um, engaged scholarship not the kind of enlightenment to communities that we mean by engaged scholarship. Fourthly, we need to devise something that will complement decolonization to the tune of diffusion of the colonial ego, because we are focused so much on decolonizing the people on the continent, but actually uh, we are wrestling with the ego that is still sustainable in terms of coloniality. And that captures the science arrogance and the institutional bigotry that we are in. And fifthly and lastly, Chair, we, we need to enable all societies to beneficiate knowledge rather than protect capitalist diaspora. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Ch. Afa provoking um, address you have given us. Um, I am certain that um, the next uh, speakers who are part of the panel session will um, delve deeper into the not yet Uhuru. Um, I would like to make an announcement before I hand over to Dr. Uh, Okech. Uh, Professor Lenkabula is in the process of sending us her video recording. Um, she has to attend to the military um, 
to call for, for the installation of the general, I believe. So it is a state uh, duty that she has to um, attend to. So as soon as um, the video recording is received and ready, which is, I think they are sending it, um, I will give uh, you a signal, uh, Dr. Okech. So you may proceed with um, the other panelists as you, as you wish. Perhaps maybe let me make a recommendation that we leave the video um, for after the panel discussion so that we can hear the remarks from the um, guest uh, speaker, Professor Lenkabula. I would like to thank um, the speakers this morning. And so the next session of panelists um, starts. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Pelisa and the organizers uh, for the invitation to share uh, this day with you by virtue of being a moderator. And I'm going to jump right into it. One of the uh, advantages of uh, chairing a panel of very esteemed uh, guests is that their bios could uh, almost form a paper or an entire dissertation in and of itself. Uh, so I will not read the bios of the panelists, but what I will do is invite them when they speak to share one or two things about themselves that they would like um, uh, the audience to know about them. Uh, and because we have uh, sort of saved a bit of time by virtue of Professor uh, Pulang not being with us in the room, but is sending a video, it means that we have two or three more minutes to play with for each of the panelists in relation to their remarks. We had initially allocated about seven to 10 minutes for each speaker, which I'm inviting you to, to, to keep to as much as possible so that we have space to also listen to some of the questions and, and debate amongst each other as well. So I'm going to invite uh, the first panelist who is Dr. Mpo Shivase, who is a senior lecturer at the University of Pretoria and a Stanford University fellow to speak to us around the quest to explore interdisciplinary inquiry through Mafege's ideologies. Um, Mpo, you have about 10 to 12 minutes. If you see my video coming on, that will be your signal uh, to begin to wrap up. Welcome, Paul. Thank you, Dr. Okech, for that welcome. Um, I'd like to first acknowledge the um, Deputy Minister Putimana Mela and, of course, the Acting CEO of the HSRC, Professor Likeness Simbai. Um, I'd also like to thank the um, uh, uh, Mafeja family for, 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 for being here and uh, my fellow panelists, of course. Um, and I cannot uh, go or continue without thanking the organizers and of course the attendees. So thank you very much. Um, Professor Pearl Sitola, you've given us a buffet of an exciting buffet of ideas that one could just pick on in terms of um, the work, the rich work that we get from um, Achima Feje. And uh, there's a number of things that stand out. I mean, I love the, 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 the phrasing that you have about Nochet Uhuru, which is um, true to the project of decolonizing our knowledge systems, decolonizing the educational um, institutions and so forth. So um, I think what I want to do is actually uh, talk perhaps more relatedly to the ideas you express 
um, that have to do with uh, decolonizing education in terms of the disciplines, the different disciplines that um, sort of ought to collaborate but seem to remain the, um, what's it, uh, distinct from one another in ways that are actually not fruitful to the project of decolonization. So I prepared something uh, based on Mafej's discussion of um, uh, uh, interdisciplinarity and non-disciplinarity. I find those two um, phrases or ideas in his work quite interesting as they, in one sense, aim to address the issues of epistemic injustice by looking at the structures within which we actually develop our knowledge and uh, other epistemic uh, uh, ideas. Um, so Mafeja's call in part uh, is to reject the colonial forms of knowledge about Africa with the aim to generate new forms of knowledge, I understand as a call to all disciplines. So this is not just a call to anthropology or history or economics, but to all educational or knowledge um, disciplines involved in knowledge. While dominant forms of knowledge in the different fields in academia cover content about Africa, most of it is not produced by Africans. This is not something that raised valid concerns that were and continue to be demonstrated in the desperate calls for decolonization of disciplines. Underlying the call for new forms of knowledge is an invitation for Africans to fight for the intellectual and cultural freedom. What is needed for the African intellectual to pursue academic freedom is authenticity. Authenticity here is seen as a necessary condition for the creation of new knowledge systems. African intellectuals have a task, he says, to find real solutions to socio-political problems. And Professor Sitolo, you raised a, a couple of issues um, in our scholarship to do with the structures or institutions that uh, serve or are aimed to serve as guardians of knowledge, but in most instances are too rigid in the way that they actually go about their work. So while Mafurge's concern uh, is concerned to encourage African scholars, he's not blind to the emotional and psychological strain that comes with the demands of deconstructing and reconstructing knowledge. And I just wanna say these two themes of deconstruction and reconstruction are quite central to his ideas in um, uh, epistemic injustice. In terms of the deconstruction and reconstruction of knowledge, he considers in part interdisciplinarity as one plausible way of responding to the need um, to form new knowledge that will help African intellectuals express African, Africanity as part of their identity in intellectual institutions that provide the context from which to rethink new knowledge systems. While Mafeja is committed to transcending disciplinary boundaries, his relationship with the idea of interdisciplinarity is a fascinating one for me. Upon one academic institution in Africa, refusing to endorse an interdisciplinary program uh, that Mafeja had designed, Mafeja left and joined an academic institution in Europe that championed his aim to implement the interdisciplinary program. Afeja was not blind to the complexity of implementing the interdisciplinary program. And uh, Bongani Nyogo um, shares Mafeja's sentiments around the implementation of an interdisciplinary program. Uh, Nyogo captures Mafeja's sentiments as follows. At first, Mafeja was skeptical of the idea of interdisciplinarity. In a letter to Monica Wilson, and, and um, Monica Wilson was his um, supervisor at UCT. 
So in a letter to Monica Wilson dated 9 February 1970, he says, for example, the problem was not was that Sorry, the problem was that one cannot have successful interdisciplinary teaching without strong organization and sustained research within disciplines. Also, some departments feared, and rightly so too, that they would lose their identity and ultimately disappear under the new proposals. Only a few months later, in a letter written to um, Wilson dated 7th April 1917, Mafeja writes, since April 1st, I have been playing a new role as HOD of the department. This is the Department of Anthropology and Sociology. Um, it is rather a terrifying role, particularly in our department where things have been absolutely chaotic and there are a hundred important decisions to be made all at once. The major problem is recruitment. Although many are fascinated by the institutional experience, few are prepared to come to a department with a dubious reputation. Our insistence on candidates who appreciate the importance of the interdisciplinary approach and who are alive to the problem of development in Africa does not make things any easier. I think your friends are stupid and underdeveloped to object to interdisciplinary interests, despite conventional di uh, divisions, which at times are treated as natural human behavior, as unitary. Mafeja's commitment to transcending interdisciplinary borders is captured more accurately by his notion of non-disciplinarity. On his account of interdisciplinarity, um, on his account, sorry, interdisciplinarity leads to theoret a theoretical hiatus. It is this loyalty to theoretical structures in different disciplines that makes Mafeja skeptical about the possibility of unconditional openness that is expected of disciplinary intellectuals in order to achieve interdisciplinarity. According to Nyogo, Mafeja's view was that interdisciplinarity will require a major epistemological breakthrough as good as positivism, which instigated the rise of the disciplines and led to the fragmentation of social theory to achieve coalescence. In line with the spirit of deconstruction, Mafeja aligns himself with non-disciplinarity and applied the discursive method in his research as a way to escape the disciplinary boundaries that are evident in intractable methodological problems. He adopts the discursive method as a way to break the disciplinary boundaries. But one of his critics, Dani Nabudere, um, claims that Mafeja operates as a neutral of a researcher or scholar standing outside the new epistemology because he informs us that is um, because informed that in discarding the old concepts and, and approaches, he adopted a discursive method, which, not predicate, which was not predicated on any epistemology, but was reflective of a certain style of thinking. It was this style of thinking that he's able to study the people's texts so that he can decode them and make them understandable to other scholars as systematized interpretations of existing but hidden knowledge. But in such a case, how different is he, Mafeje, from colonial scholars who claim to be neutral and objective? Overall, Mafeje's idea of non-disciplinarity as a break from epistemological methods and the pursuit of reconstruction of knowledge has implications not only for disciplinary boundaries, but for teaching as well. So what can we learn then from Mafeje in our current context? In general, interdisciplinarity has been endorsed and championed by academic institutions. 
The championing of interdisciplinarity reaches into our hiring practices wherein intellectuals are encouraged to embrace studies and synthesize information from different disciplines in order to develop new knowledge. Some of the highly celebrated degrees in our institutions are interdisciplinary in nature. The interdisciplinary approach is celebrated in part because it offers different benefits for students. Some of the readily accepted benefits include developing declarative and procedural knowledge, the ability to integrate conflicting insights from different disciplines, the ability um, to consider the multiplicity of approaches from problem to solve, um, sorry, to problem solving. And these are just a few among other worthy benefits of interdisciplinary learning. Embracing non-disciplinarity would have impl serious implications for teaching, um, which would not necessarily be negative implications. As academics uh, would have to re as academics, we have to rethink the way that we ourselves develop our knowledge, uh, the knowledge that we teach. Charles Mills um, makes a similar invitation uh, to philosophers to rethink the way in which we teach theories. But he adds that in responding to colonial scholarship, we should also we also need to look at the way that we read and write theories. But what Mills calls for would not um, would impact not only interdisciplinarity but transdisciplinarity as well. In discussing methodological epistemologies and creating the idea of non-binaries, um, Mafeja is not only reconstructing knowledge to break disciplinary boundaries, he's also inviting us to broaden our thinking around the nature and purpose of disciplinary boundaries. I'm convinced by the spirit of non-disciplinarity um, that non-disciplinarity is uh, plausible. It's a plausible starting point from which human sciences uh, and the STEM programs can start rethinking authenticity and directed and more directedly about collaborative work on an equal platform. We're living in an era where technological developments are forcing us to rethink the way we do research as these technological developments affect humanity and it is no longer useful to maintain those strict disciplinary boundaries. We ought to take a page from Mafeja's um, critique of disciplinary boundaries to fruitful development and advancement of scholarship. Overall, I find fascinating the invitation to challenge the structures of knowledge as set up by systems originally designed to oppress knowledge from the African continent with the aim to impose intellectual supremacy. In this way, decolonization is not only about Africanizing knowledge, but it is also about deconstructing and reconstructing structures of knowledge in Africa. Thank you. Thank you so much, Paul, for that. I'm going to move on uh, very swiftly to Professor Adebayo Olukoshi, who's the director of the International Institution for Democracy and Electoral Assistance, West Africa and West Asia. Uh, Professor Olukoshi is going to be speaking to us about Achima Feje and their agenda to decolonize knowledge in Africa. Welcome, Prof. Uh, thank you very much indeed, uh, Dr. Okech. Uh, and I'd like, uh, in standing on existing protocol, uh, to thank the uh, HSRC and AISA for uh, putting this uh, program together uh, in remembrance of uh, uh, somebody who uh, meant uh, a lot to many of us. Um, uh, around the world, um, 
especially I would say in the uh, Cordestria community, uh, where I first had the privilege um, to, to get to meet uh, Achima Feji, um, already known to us from our uh, undergraduate studies as uh, a legendary figure, uh, particularly uh, in his critique of uh, the notion of uh, tribalism. Uh, myself having uh, been um, brought up as it were from an insurgent uh, school uh, of African scholars uh, from the humanities and the social sciences uh, that was known at the time as the uh, Zaria School um, uh, based at Amadou University. Um, but whose uh, adherents, of course, uh, went beyond uh, the campuses uh, of the university uh, in Northern Nigeria. Um, that critic of uh, tribalism uh, resonated with many of us, uh, even as young undergraduates, uh, and later in life, uh, getting into uh, the cordestrian networks um, uh, through the various uh, research programs uh, of the council. Um, it, it was uh, uh, a moment which I would describe as personally historic uh, to be able to meet this uh, uh, giant of an intellectual uh, in person and to also enjoy the privilege uh, as executive secretary uh, of Cordesria uh, later in my career um, to have the opportunity to be uh, part of his uh, uh, broad uh, community of fellow travelers. Um, uh, Mafeji, I must add, um, along with the likes of Tandikam uh, Kadawire, whom uh, we lost uh, last year, um, and uh, colleagues like uh, Jimmy Adeshina, I think uh, um, uh, Jimmy and I, and uh, a whole generation, those whom Tandika described as uh, the uh, uh, second, I think we straddled the second and third generation uh, of post-independence African uh, social scientists, uh, basically fed at the, uh, at the feet of uh, uh, Achima Feji um, in more ways than one, um, and no gathering uh, of any major significance within the Codensia community, not least the General Assembly, the Triennial General Assemblies, uh, of uh, of Codesria, uh, which which is celebrated as the biggest gathering of African social researchers on the continent, uh, was ever complete without the presence uh, of Achima Feji. Um, and it is remarkable, and I think, Pearl, um, you, you are right in that regard, uh, that there was um, uh, a certain restlessness and insurgency uh, about Achima Feji as a person, which also um, challenged structured ways of doing things. Because as I reflected on, 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 on my encounters and experiences with him, uh, as I'm sure uh, others like uh, Jimmy uh, will attest, um, uh, and listening to you, um, it was actually not too frequent for Achima Feji to take the floor in a formal uh, symposium or seminar session as such. Uh, he would listen intent, intensively um, and in the after formal session uh, engagements uh, would be when Mafeji will come to light. Uh, and uh, in so doing, um, uh, uh, with uh, a whole uh, set of, uh, of us around him, uh, upon 
the candles into the into into the late night. Um, um, I would add perhaps also with uh, some uh, Dakar uh, gear uh, to go with it uh, and to to light in the evening. Um, and I think in all of these. Um, um, it was good to be able to be inducted um, as a younger scholar into the uh, idea. Um, and Pell emphasized this in her keynote uh, presentation that knowledge is first local before we can begin to say it has assumed a universal um, dimension. Um, and people have accused Mafeji um, in, in, in some settings of being. Uh, parochial, uh, being uh, anti-universalist, uh, uh, rejecting universal standards of scholarship, and so on and so forth. But in addition to the dimensions which uh, you pointed to, uh, one of the things which, in engaging um, uh, Mafeji on this issue, um, that has remained with me uh, as an abiding uh, element of my own work has been that in order for you actually to begin even in the first instance to be seriously capable of engaging with the local, you have to immerse yourself in that local. Um, you cannot gain a full understanding of the local simply by doing what I think at the time we used to deride as internet research, newspapers, um, and so on and so forth. But rather what Mafeji emphasized later in his life as perhaps um, an investment as a lifelong commitment in ethnographic work of the kind that will immerse you in your environment to enable you to be able thoroughly to understand the rhymes and the rhythms of that environment, precisely to be able to understand it the better, not so much with a view to idealizing the local, but actually to understand it in its contradictory motions uh, of the kind which will then enable us as African scholars to be able to take knowledges that we develop from a thorough understanding of the local, not a fleeting observation of that local, a thorough and longitudinal understanding of that local in the best traditions of ethnography and bring this into the context of conversations that define themselves as universal. Uh, and in a way that enables us therefore in a construction of the universal to recognize ourselves rather than being people who become purveyors uh, of other people's ideas uh, that are presented as universal uh, and effectively and our scholarship, whether it be doctorates or professorships, on the basis of our ability to parrot so-called universal theories uh, and ideas uh, without actually being able uh, to reflect these effectively into the context of the local. And this naturally, I think, at the second level, um, which you also broached upon, uh, Pell, um, uh, compels us as scholars um, well, to start with an understanding of the theories. Uh, it's not a bad idea to understand the theories, never to become prisoners of theories. And I think perhaps again, you know, recalling some of the debates that took place 
on various issues, whether it be the land and agrarian question or the democracy question, uh, or indeed uh, issues of uh, class and identity uh, within uh, the uh, networks of Kodesria. Um, Achimafeji was outstanding in the fact that he was not one who was easily given to becoming needlessly doctrinaire at a time when an entire generation of scholars actually sought to establish their radical credentials by their ability to quote profusely and effortlessly from Marx, from Lenin, from Mao, and even from Enver Hoja and, uh, and, uh, and, and the Juchi ideology of, uh, of, of North Korea. Um, it was a period when, in fact, uh, uh, a radical tradition across our continent um, uh, sought legitimation uh, by competing to look for um, foreign <laughs> external expressions uh, of uh, struggles uh, for justice in the form of uh, um, uh, different variants of Marxism uh, and importing them into our conversations in ways which did not really do much to uh, clarify uh, our, 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 our concerns on the ground. Uh, and in this regard, I know uh, Mafeji was also criticized uh, by some of being an unnecessary empiricist, uh, but he insisted again in line with his commitment uh, to field work, to research, to a proper understanding uh, in a longitudinal manner uh, of the context uh, or within which he lives and of the issues uh, he engaged with, uh, that it was important to ensure at all times that theory did not dictate data, but that data should in fact open the gateway for us to advance theory and to uh, enrich theory. Um, uh, I see that the, uh, the, the chair is, is, is on. I would, uh, I would move the, <laughs> a bit more quickly uh, and say that at the third level, I think in, in doing these things um, that I've referred to and, and drawing on Pearl uh, Sitoli, um, Achi um, left for us as a generation um, that came after his, uh, the second and the third generation, if I may define uh, us as such, um, a capacity to enjoy the confidence to take units of analysis on our own terms. And, you know, sometimes I shudder at the thought today, um, time will not allow, and I hope we'll have occasion to be able during the question and answer sessions uh, to expand a bit on this. I shudder at the thought that today we repeat concepts about ourselves which are developed from the point of view of others and their interest in us um, uh, without actually critically questioning them. <laughs> I read conflict research and I see copious references to failed states. I see copious references even in the South African context to state capture as though in the way in which Mafejo would remind us, capture was not in fact a permanent condition of any state system uh, anywhere in the world. And so that the interesting question uh, must be that we ask ourselves what in particular forms of capture become problematic as to make them a political question, not necessarily the fact of capture itself or even an insinuation that it was a novel thing. 
And it is that kind of critical engagement with issues to say, don't take anything at face value. Have the confidence and the capacity to discuss and identify questions on your own terms and to take units of analysis. Take concepts as a starting point. Understand where people who use those concepts, like tribalism in the way in which he demonstrated it. What do they mean by it? How internally coherent and consistent is the meaning which they have attributed to it as part of a broader demolition project that becomes uh, an interesting uh, path to uh, an alternative way of understanding society. I'll begin to close at that, uh, Chair. I had one or two other things I wanted to say by building on something which Pell referred to um, uh, in, in her keynote address. And honestly, it is that, you know, with the cluster of universities um, we have around <laughs> Houteng, uh, the time has come. Let's not talk about these things as work in progress uh, to be achieved anymore, uh, but as something which we must in fact invest ourselves uh, into uh, by building a networked community across the universities um, of South Africa and Southern Africa in order to begin to produce that alternative understanding that is grounded in the way in which actually tried to conceptualize and apply Africanity um, without necessarily uh, being parochial uh, about it. And even if parochialism were to uh, be thrown at us uh, as an accusation, um, I think it was also part of the defiant nature uh, of Achi Mafeji that he would simply answer, and so what? Thank you. Thank you very much, Prof. And indeed, we shall have time towards the end to return to some of the questions that you may not have got to, or some will be animated through the Q&A. Let me now go to Professor Edith Paswana, who's an associate professor and head of academic programs at the Tabombeki African School of Public and International Affairs, uh, who will be reflecting with us on Mafeja's quest to decolonize knowledge and its relevance for public and international affairs in Africa. Professor Paswana. Uh, thank you very much, uh, program director. And let me also, can you hear me? Yes, we can, yes, we can. Thank you. Let me also observe protocol as outlined earlier and in a very special way, acknowledge the presence of our Honorable Deputy Minister, Mr. Budimana Mela, the, the Mafeja family, our keynote speaker, uh, Professor Paul Sitole, esteemed dignitaries, uh, scholars, fellow panelists, uh, and uh, embassies, uh, a representative from embassies, distinguished scholars and academics, uh, public servants and students. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning. And, uh, Allow me also to appreciate the invitation by the HSRC to come and provide inputs in this panel. Uh, I was requested to, to reflect on Mafeja's ideas to decolonize knowledge and its relevance to the field of public and international affairs. And uh, a program director, you'll notice that I am running fast because there will be load shading where I am sitting uh, anytime uh, from now. So, I think um, uh, I was requested to come and, 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 and talk about 
the ideas to decolonize knowledge and, and the relevancy for public and international affairs. A task that we ourselves at the, at the, at the Tawambeke School currently are grappling with uh, as, as we seek to, to truly transform this continent. So as we will remember at the launch of the first African School of Public and International Affairs, uh, the patron, His Excellency Tawambeke went into details about the shortcomings of, of the type of education young people participate in in the contemporary moment. And uh, he went on uh, to talk about uh, uh, how the education system produced corporate students uh, that are, are, are ready to, to, to help corporates evade taxes and, and serve uh, uh, those uh, without actually critically questioning uh, what is happening uh, in, in the country. So I think uh, that also says to us that, that we need to seriously reflect on the type of, of education that we also offer here on the continent. We will realize that over the past 20, uh, 20th century, half of the 20th century, uh, the search in educational enrollment of public sector education in Africa has not been able to enhance the capacity of the post-colonial African state in delivering services to its citizen. No, it has agently advanced the development trajectory of most of our countries. Also, even the demise of apartheid in South Africa, which was highly celebrated, both continentally and internationally, as an opportunity to advance scholarship in public sector education, with South Africa being considered having strong institutions of higher learning. But we realized that our public sector education in almost all these South African universities did not modernize or did not even become relevant to the demands of a developmental state or an emerging market economy, as it happens elsewhere in China, in Singapore, Malaysia, uh, Korea, or South, uh, South Korea and China. So we, in addition, public sector education has not even been dynamic enough to address the challenges that governments in the broader public sector encounter in a rapidly globalizing world. So equally important also is the understanding that the, public, uh, the study of public affairs does not even confine itself to public administration and man management. I think it is broader than, than this. So the field of public and international affairs as we, as we say, it captures two dimensions of study, uh, which, because it intends to equip students with the knowledge and skills which are necessary to be engaged global citizens. And uh, as we can see first, the, the, uh, the, first, the first component, which is the public affairs, uh, seeks to advance public sector education, which includes interaction among government, private, and, and, and voluntary sector. And when we go to the international affairs component of, of this combination, we, we find that it includes governance on the regional, global, and transnational levels. And uh, we will recognize also that the technological advancements of communication over the past 100 years have re resulted in real global economy. Uh, countries also rely on each other for goods and services. Going alone is not an option in the 21st centuries uh, because uh, that the plague that's, uh, that affects many countries end up affecting us all. Even COVID-19 has been able to demonstrate this interconnectedness. And as the world shrinks, the need for international experts also grow. Every single industry in a country 
will benefit from individuals who understand global issues and how they impact on individuals and organization. So the study of public and international affairs becomes necessary as it educates for rounded knowledge and broaden uh, career prospects of students beyond their national boundaries. So in a nutshell, the continent, uh, we are at a point where the continent needs highly skilled public servants who are committed to the public good and capable of delivering quality services to citizens. It requires ethical leaders who will understand philosophies of public affairs, which are based on the concepts of, of public good. So as we, we, as, we, as, we, as we contend with the age of digitization uh, and the age of pandemics also, we realize that we, we, need, we need global leaders who are able to administer the state to be able to deliver. So I think we need to also uh, look at the work of Achima Fair and what this field can actually glean from, from his ideas around decolonizing knowledge that, uh, that we offer to our students, the type of knowledge that we offer at our, uh, our, our university. Let me first underscore the fact that Mofej's ideas have to be taken very seriously by the current generation of scholars, particularly scholars of public sector education in terms of the topics that he engaged with. And I think he stood at the very best place as an activist and a scholar, equiprimordial in, 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 in character. And I think also uh, his work demonstrated because his work was about African people and nations seeking to overcome the current challenges confronting the continent in order for them to achieve cultural and also scientific or economic renewal. For him, the renewal of Africa required a rebellion and he used strong ways like combative and, and notions of alterity and Africanity. And he was against knowledge privileges and, and particularly the dehumanizing and subhumanizing of Africans in the knowledge enterprise. So he asserted a bold statement that Euro North America can no longer be the point of reference for epistemic uh, knowledge uh, or, or epistemic legitimacy. So I, I think to paraphrase Mahoba, who also uh, uh, once said that our Africanness should not be erased when we enter the university corridors. Uh, and, and I think Masferge, as we know, he, he also intimated strongly around these issues. And uh, uh, just to, because in the interest of time, I wouldn't be able to delve into, into this, but I refer you to the works of, of Bongani Nyoka and Dani Nabudere, which have comprehensively interrogated Masferge's legacy for the current generation, and which also uh, caution us uh, and uh, even point us uh, to this current generation of decolonization uh, scholars who uh, in a way uh, think that these, uh, the ideas around de decolonization somehow uh, emanates from the Latin American scholars, uh, Mignolos, uh, the Cujuanos. But the works uh, interrogating McFerger's work actually uh, 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 indicates that the Latin American scholars were actually borrowing from, from Africa because what McFerge and his contemporaries, uh, if you think about um, uh, other contemporary, uh, his contemporaries like uh, Ali Mazrui, uh, you think about Sheikh Antai Diop, all of those, somehow they actually show us that 
there has been a tradition of epistemic disobediency on the continent uh, from from long time ago. And uh, uh, Maferje, uh, as, as, uh, when you compare him to the local South African uh, academics or scholars, you also see him as a, a cosmopolitan and Africanist, uh, an embodiment of, of the two, because his enforced exile from South Africa somehow was instrumental in sparing him these parochial thinking that most South African academics uh, suffers from, and I've, I mean academics of all races. And as someone who was committed to the African cause and who was also equally optimistic about, about the continent and its people, uh, in his essay, uh, Africanity, a Combative Ideology, he writes, if what we say and do has relevance for our humanity, its international relevancy is guaranteed. And I think, I think, I think this statement on its own was a way of asserting that be, being African is being human and it's also being global and international in, in, in its, 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 its makeup. So if anything, uh, the current, I mean, the current, uh, the, the recent currents on decolonization owe is to people like Ashima Feji, who had to contend with the hostile and vicious knowledge production enterprises as early as the 1960s and the 70s, as Professor Sitole has, has also shown. So, and, and I think Mark, somehow Mafeje was very optimistic about Africa, and one could sense his irritation against a pathological view of Africa, especially from fellow Africans. He could not tolerate that, who in his view were supposed to remedy it. And, and, and his debate with Ali Mazrui is, is, is a case in point. And he asked African scholars to develop theories and, and paradigms that will help Africans to combine, to combat foreign domination and to forge an independent African identity. For African scholars, uh, I think for, for him, needs to first understand that Africa is not weak by nature. And I think uh, Nabudere uh, deals with this in his, uh, uh, in his book, but it was the weakest link in the global capitalist uh, uh, system. And, 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 and I think he went on to, to, to show that. Uh, when it comes to the state, uh, Maferje intimated with the shortcomings of an African state very passionately. And, and particularly the, this notion of one party state, which for him degenerated into, into ethnic chauvinism, into parochialism. And he was also puzzled by African societies after independence. I think what really uh, puzzled him was why would they opt to, for narrow views of nationalism? And, 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 and for him, because the, the very fact, fact that they treated uh, Western consumerism as a norm, you know, uh, really bothered him and, and, and also confined themselves to this conception of a nation state uh, with fixed boundaries, especially because for him, uh, during uh, the anti-colonial movements and struggles, the, 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 the African people, encompass many other social forces uh, and, and which means they were transcending even uh, 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 national boundaries. 
and for them after independence to, to go back to this kind of parochialism uh, about that. And I think uh, this, is, this is one of the, of, of, of the issues that Mafeje also raises very strongly in, in his, and, and he goes on to show that, and I think even the COVID, uh, sorry, the COVID-19 situation uh, really shows that indeed Africa is the weakest link in global capitalist system but not really necessarily weak by nature, because we can see how the COVID-19 situation has played out in the, on the continent. Of course, the search for, 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 for vaccines and all of these amplified in Africa and, and, and we were last in the queue. However, if you check globally on how this pandemic affected uh, other, other, other sections of, 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 of other regions of the world, you begin to realize that indeed Africa is never weak by nature. There are systems, there are things, uh, 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 cultural uh, and, and also uh, social uh, 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 factors that have actually contributed to us uh, being able to to protect ourselves from from these uh, uh, viruses as well, and uh, and I think, uh, sorry. there. I will assume that we'll have, we've had uh, some interruption from uh, her end, perhaps it is the load shedding, uh, but she has already given us quite a bit to work with. And uh, if uh, she's able to return, we can pick up on some of the questions that she has raised. So let me now turn to the family representative, uh, Ms. Um, Zinkita Swana to share a few remarks. I'm so sorry to interrupt you, uh, Awino. Could we please uh, play the, uh, the Professor Lenkabula's video before we get to that? So that's, thanks.
Felisa, is everything okay? Yeah, the video had started. So now when I was about to share it, um, so I think let me rather than um, allow you to go ahead with the family wrap and then we can load it. We can have it ready. Apologies for that. No problem at all. Zimkita, you're welcome. I think uh, even though uh, it needs no repeating, I'm sure you are aware of your uh, Achimofeja's great impact on the African continent, and that has been evidenced today through the enduring legacy of his work, uh, as has been attested to by the panelists. Uh, you're welcome. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Zimkita Swana. Professor Mafeju was my uh, grandfather, or technically my uh, great uncle. And I'll be speaking on behalf of our family. Um, the family would like to extend warm thanks to the HSRC, UNISA, and more specifically the Archie Mafeju Institute and the Africa Institute of South Africa, which has played a significant role in curating and popularizing um, Professor Mafeju's work. We also thank Codiceria in Senegal. We thank the African scholars and intellectuals who have kept the academic memory of Achima Feje alive, as well as the amazing panelists and the audience here today. We appreciate UCT, which launched the Academic Freedom Research Award, and which also awarded Mafeje a posthumous doctorate from UCT as a way of atoning for their failure to give him a full professorship during his lifetime. We commend Tisotebe Foundation for launching a scholarship program for the PhD candidates at Wits University. Today, I would like to reflect upon what made my grandfather irresistible while he was still alive and what makes him undoubtedly attractive today as we set our eyes upon his legacy. It's the elegance of his erudition and expansive knowledge of his area of study. I only knew him for the first 10 years of my life, but even then I could tell, I could sense his intellectual clout and sophistication. Today, I'm reminded of one of the news headlines at the time of his passing, uh, which read, a great giant has moved on. And now I'm a little older and I'm participating in this forum and I appreciate the greatness of the beloved Professor Mafeje. Most of you know him as a combative intellectual revolutionary, but one of my fond memories of him was at the dinner table, we were discussing what happens in the afterlife. And he said, when he dies, he's just gonna go to a place where you play ping pong and enjoy some wine. <laughs> so he was really a funny um, fellow, even though you know he was mostly recognized as a very serious intellectual. And today, as his remains are weighed down by soil, I am so glad that none of his works have gathered even a speck of dust. In fact, you know, he wasn't the type of person to accept excessive admiration or praise. But what you are doing today by engaging in his thoughts is something that I'm sure he would appreciate and that he would be in awe of the fact that Africans are reading and thinking and engaging um, today. Uh, Professor Mafeje was an African egoist. He studied epistemology of alterity and the othering of Africa and Africans and the advancement of African scholarship 
grounded in centering um, research on African ontological experiences. Um, and I think that he had an aversion to alterity and he had a pursuit of the idea of endogeny. Um, and we are grateful that his legacy is located in that and African intellectuals in the new generation recognize this. As Africans, we have a long history of calling ourselves and being identified as things that we are not. For instance, we are not tribals or tribes people, but we are organized in identifiable and operational kingdoms, chiefdoms, clans, and families. So we must resist the forces that drive us into abstraction. We are not mythological creatures. Uh, in fact, our cultures, our traditions, and our scholarship and our languages demonstrate how grounded we are. And in his memory, we should pursue this. We have highly sophisticated concepts of the self, of the individual, of the community, of life, of technology, and our language and scholarship is a repository of the African mind and a manner of speaking. Uh, I can give you the example of Umtu or Ubuntu, which loosely translates into personhood. Um, being a person is the most significant and uh, respected level or form of being in African society. And as Africans, we should facilitate other people's personhood in order to be people ourselves. We must always embrace African ideology and ways of being. And this stands in stark contrast to the ideologies and concepts of whiteness and blackness and other pseudoscientific ideas of race that exist. So this ideological framework of endogeneity is which my grandfather devoted his time and thoughts to. And I, I really appreciate the fact that we've had so many discussions about it. And you'll find that in many ways, we have the terminology and we have the technologies to succeed in life um, and that we should actually resist the labels that people give us that negate our, our significance and importance. If Africans were unthinking and undeveloped as the world has come to view us, we would have become extinct. But it is because of the sophistication of our ideas, our tenacity and our rigor um, that the various attempts to annihilate us have not succeeded. And it is because of our tenacity and our Africanacity that a quarter of the world's population will be Africans by 2050. And that the majority of the youth demographic demographic in the world will be African. We are the continent that is full of promise and potential for growth and development. And if you were to ask my grandfather how to progress Africa, it would be to use endogenous African thoughts and concepts. And if you remember that Africans invented university, you would then know that our charge today is to return to being leaders of thought and knowledge in the world. And as Professor Satole was saying, to challenge the notions of rankings and ratings that undermine African thoughts and scholarship. So let us continue to progress in science and technology um, to exceed our former glory in at least the name of my grandfather. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Zimkita. Thank you very, very much for that. And indeed, the, the task of our generation, my generation, is to continue this work and as Professor Paswana noted, this, these are not new conversations and it's always important to remind 
you know, the next generation that makes calls to decolonial theory, to decolonizing, that our forebearers, uh, you know, wrote, reflected, had rich debates, uh, and, uh, you know, both within the academy and in other research sp uh, spaces around the importance of centering Africa as a site of knowledge production, as a space from which to understand and theorize global problems and not as a site uh, to uh, pontificate on how problematic it is. Uh, Palissa, do we have the video ready now? Uh, before I move on to the Q&A. Yes, we do. Thanks. Thank you. Dr. Palsas Khejani, the program director this morning, Professor Simbai, Professor Sitole, Dr. Mpo Chivasi, Professor Adbai Olokoshi, who's a mentor to many of us, Professor Edith Paswana, Professor Hendricks. I'm truly delighted this morning to form part of the deliberative processes around an icon an intellectual tower and a mentor who many of us in the Council for the Development of Social Sciences Research in Africa have learned a lot from. I first met Professor Mafeje when we as a group of uh, PhD candidates had the opportunity to attend the 13th Codestria General Assembly. We were elated because this was one of those opportunities that many researchers or even scholars do not have to mingle, interact, learn directly from the worlds of intellectuals and leaders within the continent that stand for scholarship that is emancipatory, transformative, and whose logics are counter-cultural to the logics that undermine and underestimate the value of African intellectual scholarship and its resourcing in the global arena. In this particular encounter with Professor Mafeji was later on deepened when he became a mentor, seeing us every fortnight alongside with uh, Ishmael Lisufi, Dr. now Professor uh, Madise, as well as uh, Moloi, uh, Professor Sikhalo, and a number of those who had the opportunity to meet him, to understand. My encounter with him at that point was, wide, was quite edifying because as a student of ethics, I had not had the opportunity to intentionally and deeply be asked to contest the ideas of African philosophers or also experts in ethics. And this is where uh, Kwesi Pra and others became interlocutors in the work that we did. But it was also Professor Mafeji who made it imperative for me to finding my voice alongside with other mentors who allowed my feminist lens to form part of the intellectual analysis of society, particularly in the encounter between economy, ecology, and social system. Like most scholars in the, in the colonies, Mafeje wove his intellectual contribution 
to a deep commitment and an unambiguous identification with the struggle for liberation, not only of South Africa, but also of the continent. This deep commitment and unambiguous identification with Africa's liberative motives come out in a variety of articles that Professor Mafeje has written about. In particular, his article on the 1976 Soweto uprising. In this, Mafeje advocates for a development of a revolutionary leftist praxis that could advance some of the demands made by the students during the uprising. This way in particular around the dignity and identity of black people as human in an apartheid context that had denigrated the humanity through the stratification of apartheid system. But it was also a contestation on languages of hegemonic and dominant or conquest cultures, which students were raising as a challenge and asking for African languages to also be invested in to develop as languages of science, research, and engaged scholarship. This particular factor is still very valid even today in 2021 when we look towards the 2011 struggles in Argentina around students contesting the evolution or the continuing hyper impositions of the neoliberal order in the higher education system where those without money are not enabled to pursuing higher education and those without fall through the cracks. The same is true to the 2014-2015 eruptions of students in the context of South Africa, which moved on to other environments where the fees must fall became a rallying point on similar quests, including the issues of access and success of higher education, not just a revolving door and institutional cultures within universities that do not embody or embed African liberation matters. He was also critical of some of the conceptualizations of liberation that were prevalent at the time. In this, Mafeja could have said, could be said to have been ahead of his time, arguing for self-criticism within and by the liberation movements at the time when such reflexive practice was overshadowed by hagiographical approaches. Indeed, Professor Mafeja is also known as one of the major contributors uh, to, the question, to questioning the very discipline that he studied, anthropology. His critique of anthropology was based mainly on its roots as a colonial discipline that sought to study Africa's people through the lens of European scholars and the lack of respect of African knowledge systems through the lens, uh, through African uh, uh, voice. He went to the extent that either anthropology will fade away on its own or it should be phased out, a call which continues to be resonant in this context. 
These reflections by Professor Mafeji are apt for our own reflections on the contribution to knowledge as the University of South Africa. The university is known for and continues to explore ways in which traditional disciplines, established canons, and entrenched epistemological approaches and practices may be challenged, transformed, but also new ideas enabled to evolve. This we do because these canons and practices have only advanced Euro-American knowledge systems whilst marginalizing and suppressing African knowledge system. We should therefore seek ways in order that we advance all attempts to ensuring that we demonstrate the best that Africa produces but also develops. Nyoka identifies at least three foci in the works of Mafeje which are important to consider. The first is the critique of social sciences, particularly the liberal theoretical orientation, positivist methodological approaches, and epistemological groundings. We, are, we, we have already referred to this in the area of the work by Mafejin. The, the, the other important matter, which in our context had not been reflected on in the current context of changes, especially during COVID-19, has been the very question of land and agrarian question that Mafeji so tersely reflected on, including the activities of the small-scale farmers or subsistence economies. In a world where commercialization of food systems uh, has become normative, this has meant questions around food sovereignty, around security, around decisions and land tenure continue to rattle us even today. And perhaps Mafeji could be one of those scholars that resource us in ensuring that we develop quite strong alternative approaches to land tenure systems in South Africa and in the continent. The last aspect that I want to reflect on is his revolutionary theory and praxis since apartheid days and his quest for a second independence, meaning challenging the neo-colonial hegemony in Africa. We may add at least some of the interesting work that my Efeje had, for instance, on the ideology of tribalism. In 1971 article, he challenged the notion of tribe in Africa. This was timely intervention at the time when apartheid regime was advancing the balkanization of a country in different times, the results of which were hated, uh, were the hated homeland system. It may be that the post-1994 settlement led to the eradication of homelands. The country is, however, grappling with the effects of tribal, tribalization, especially of African people. And whilst we may speak around the concept of ethnicity as an important uh, 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 idea, the constant uh, imposition of tribalism or tribal as the conceptual framing is ongoing and is highly 
entrenched. The ongoing manifestation of Afrophobia and xenophobia within the continent and the country, which emerged sporadically due to challenging economic situation and the competition for resources amongst Africa's people are good points to consider. The University of South Africa, therefore, is proud to have served as the final intellectual home for Professor Mafeji. It is important, therefore, that we should continue with his legacy of posing critical questions. Our relevance to us is his critique of social sciences and his call and appeals for emancipatory social sciences that are contextually attentive, yet also able to ensuring that they resonate within any context where they may be engaged. We are really appreciative of his legacy impact, but in particular for forming some of us as his mentees that he was willing at all times to engage in. I therefore pledge that this university will continue to resuscitate the Archie Mafeje Research Institute that had been closed down prior to our assumption of duty at UNISA. I wish you all the best as you continue with the deliberations and regret that I could not be with you in person. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing that. Colleagues, we have about 14 minutes before we come to the end of the program. I have seen some questions in the Q&A, and I want to thank Professor Sitole for robustly engaging some of them in the chat. What I'm going to propose is that I put forward two big questions that uh, I also drew from the Q&A to the panelists for their final reflection before I invite Cheryl Hendricks uh, to close us out. And these are the two big questions as I am reframing them from the chart. Often when we have discussions uh, such as the ones that are being catalyzed in this lecture today around what it means to do radical black African scholarship, what it means to center uh, uh, indigenous and African knowledges in the ways in which we think about the world. The question that is often posed is why are we not doing it? Now I often get a bit you know, stroppy in response by arguing, well, the work is being done. But I also recognize that that question comes from a place of people not seeing enough work that is being done. So perhaps I want to turn to those who are located in the academy on the African continent to speak to what you feel uh, or what you observe as some of the stumbling blocks to doing the kind of work that Mafeje uh, and others you know, have been talking about for a very long time about the place of the university and, and our task in, in building the next generation of radical and critical African scholars to respond to the global challenges of our time. What is the work that is going on beyond the South African space? And what is the work that needs to happen uh, so that next year or the year after this, we don't still have this question of why, uh, why are we talking about decolonizing? Why are we not doing it? That's the first big question. The second is, is one that is uh, partially uh, personal. You know, often when you, when you relocate from the African continent and are situated elsewhere, you know, there's a kind of tussle and dance that happens with being situated in a different context. 
And yet we also are aware that we have a vast majority of African scholars seated in the diaspora, located in institutions of higher learning. Uh, now I want to turn uh, on this one, perhaps I want to give it to Pearl uh, and, 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 and Cheryl and other colleagues as well to reflect with us about what a robust internationalization agenda would look like that uh, moves us beyond uh, the pockets of, of, of deeply important but often complex work because of the resource intensivity of it that folks like Cordesia are doing. Um, you know, I, I know of the platform that was set up by Arua, but we also know that is still significantly dominated by South African universities. What does a robust internationalization agenda look like that draws on an intracontinental collaboration around questions of decolonial, anti-colonial and radical African scholarship, but also connects to the African and black diasporic uh, uh, constituency uh, who are located in universities? Those are my two big questions. And a sub question if I close would be around training for PhD researchers and the pipeline, that pipeline of scholarship and, and, and research development that remains essential to a project of this nature. So I will invite Pearl to start us off and then I will go to uh, Professor Lukoshi, then I'll come back to Mpo uh, and then I will close out with, um, let me see if I've missed anyone. And then I will close out with Cheryl, uh, and in that way, we also easily transition to the next section. Paul, any, your, your quick reflections on those three big questions that are put on the table. Thank you, thank you, Program Director. I just first want to appreciate um, the panelists for elucidating a whole range of things around the scholarship of, of Mafeji. I, uh, one day, uh, Dr. Chivasa will have a conversation about Dani Nabutere and why I really appreciate his critique of uh, Mafeji. But um, I, I really want to perhaps quickly look at your questions and, and start with the one that you, where you cited me, the, the, the internationalization kind of, of a meaningful internationalization agenda. And to say that, in recent meaningful conversations with Professor Yanis Smith of UKZN, he used the term epistemic relay, which I think is a useful concept in terms of, of doing what we have to do locally and having the confidence to confront any other, because we all actually have indigenous knowledges, all of us. It is this a facade that we have that suggest that indigenous knowledge is anything other than Western that is problematic. And, and if we have done enough work of examining science from our local stance, we have enough capital to hold conversations that challenge other indigenous knowledges to contribute in the same pot of science. And then we all co-own science actually, but story for detailed story for another day. But I worry about that last um, question that you threw in about PhD scholarship. This is where those functionaries are really damaging us because of the number, the push to produce uh, PhDs, 
the push to produce PhDs within a particular time frame, and all of the things that are linked to how we then get funded. Of course, we are in this dilemma because there is carrot that we might miss if we do not do these kinds of things. So there is a whole complicated issue around, and to link with your first question, around institutional capital that we need to ask specific um, institutions. Um, because actually, if you, if you are suggesting that why are we not doing certain things, it is, it, is, it has come to a, a stage where our students are losing patience with us and some civil societies are really now taking on the space of liberated intellectualizing for themselves. I've written more for those civil society uh, spaces because they are much more liberal. It, it's not that they are not uh, quality assuring, but they are much more engaging in the way that they write. I'll, I'll leave it there for now. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Professor Sitoli. Um, Professor Lukishi. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll thank you very much, uh, um, Awino, um, for those uh, pertinent questions. Um, I think one of the things uh, building on Pell to, to introduce into the conversation is also uh, in a very direct way, because Pell hinted at it, is also the fact that there are power relations uh, involved in these matters. And, um, and when Pell says that, well, you know, you, you have to deal with certain realities um, in your conversations and engagement, uh, even sometimes against data and against conviction, um, because you have to come back home with that uh, certificate, that good skin um, <laughs> at the end of the day. Um, it speaks to the broader relations of power and, you know, the, the struggle for epistemic justice um, definitely has to go on uh, as an unfinished business, but you know, um, uh, you know, I, I, I've been, I've been saying to colleagues um, over time um, that how right can it be that if I were to live my life again uh, and to go to the UK as I did um, many years back to do a PhD, would I be writing about Africa or Nigeria, or would I, in fact, be better served? in my quest to um, uh, understand my continent much more by going to write a thesis about industrialization in the UK or about uh, development planning in Japan and study the Japanese in order to use that knowledge to better reflect on my own experience. And it's a conversation we had with uh, Mafeji uh, in the past, and I think I, I really did like um, Bo's uh, emphasis um, on, the, on the interdisciplinarity, because embedded in that, in many of the conversations Mafeji had with us, actually some kind of a thinly veiled uh, contempt uh, for Africans who um, uh, excelled solely by the fact that they were the good interpreters of the African for the rest of the world, right? Almost like a, a VS Naipaul of the social sciences, you know? And doing so on the basis of syndromes and, uh, and, uh, and, and all kinds of uh, pejorative uh, uh, <laughs> conceptual frames that ultimately are self-denigrating. And that's why he always emphasized, you have to be confident of yourself. You need to know your subject. You need to know your context. You need to know your environment. 
if you don't know your people, how are you going to be able to represent those people in the rendezvous of ideas on a global scale uh, and not end up simply becoming somebody who mimics and copies others um, uh, for validation? So I would say that this is the challenge we are faced with. Now, my challenge uh, to Puleng, to Pell, to um, uh, all of the colleagues uh, of ours who have been in this battle, um, uh, located in relative positions of power presently. Lead the charge, please. Let us make a difference. Let's change the curriculum. Let us, let us make sure, and those battles are being fought in fragmented ways. Let us also break out of conventional frames of networking ourselves to look for other ways of doing conversation of the kind that will ensure that we are able to build a school um, that will do precisely that um, uh, transmission job which your colleague uh, Pell referred to uh, and reproduce people. Because sometimes the best education is not within the four walls <laughs> of, the of the classroom. It's what you are able to hear sitting at the feet of Pell um, talking about her lifelong struggle trying to create an alternative way of understanding um, uh, scholarship uh, and what it means to be an African scholar and, and, and being able to inspire people to then go back into those four walls to ask questions and not simply to be the obedient um, uh, uh, student who, who reproduces everything that they hear, um, almost learning by rote. Thank you. Thank you very much. You know, you, you raise something that I always reflect on uh, in the following ways that scholars, particularly African scholars are caught in this dilemma. Do you um, pursue the your, your research interests, which might be studying, you know, uh, some ancient history of uh, a state in, in India? Or do you see the space that you know will be taken up by other scholars to reproduce this mimicry about your context? So we don't have the luxury of pursuing a study. You know, one can of course choose to do that, but you don't necessarily have the luxury as a critical scholar to say, actually, what I'm invested in is studying the Brexit at this particular moment. Because to do that means you have leaving space which will be occupied not necessarily by another Awino, another Pearl, or another Palesa but uh, you know, by scholars who continue to study the other and reproduce particular understandings of our experiences uh, on the African continent and, and, and do injustice to what those experiences are telling us about the state of the world. Let me turn uh, to Mpo for your reflections. Thank you so much. Um, I think, you know, just focusing on the question of why are we thinking of decolonization and not doing it? Um, I wanna, you know, piggyback on Dr. Olokuchi and Kushi and um, what's it, Prof. Prof. Sitolo, which is the ideas of what is actually the driving force behind the um, exclusions, the discriminations, the, the, um, <laughs> the lack of respect or the lack of, 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 of an energy or willingness to legitimize 
uh, African knowledge or knowledge from Africa or knowledge by Africans about Africa? Um, why is there an intellectual supremacy um, that is constantly protected? And I think Dr. Olokushi gives us a, a, a hint of, towards the answer, which is power relations. Um, and I think what we ought to ask is what, what are these powers protecting and why are they protecting this kind of supremacy? What's, wh why is it not problematic or worrying for them to maintain the idea that knowledge about Africa is more valuable when it comes from the outside? Um, I, I'm, I worry or I'm very fascinated by things like institutional culture and the role that institutional cultures actually play in the development of, um, well, epistemologies, um, uh, uh, producing PhD scholars, um, uh, benchmarking quality of those PhDs, deciding on how long a PhD should take and so forth. Year to year, we see these changes towards making the PhD study shorter, the time getting shorter and shorter at the cost of, of quality. And one has to wonder what, what is, why is there a push to do those things and where, what, what's informing these uh, moves that in most instances are actually detrimental to the quality of education. But more importantly is we have to look at why it is that people actually question the quality of PhDs when they're produced by Black people or African people. There's too much here in this academic space, in the institutions, that actually seems to be working against uh, African scholarship rather than supporting it and, you know, endorsing it so that it can actually develop and have its rightful place in, 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 in um, scholarship. But I think at bottom, what... Um, really asking is when it comes to epistemic injustice, what exactly is it that these powers are protecting? And I'll leave it at that. Thank you very much. And I want to, uh, I, I hope that uh, colleagues who are in the Q&A who asked the questions around what it means and what is required of us to do the decolonizing work, how much uh, uh, of, the, uh, you know, what are the, the, the sort of conditions that are limiting uh, our ability to do this work, find some little nuggets of wisdom from our panelists who have just spoken now, who are also speaking from a position of the uh, spaces that they occupy within African universities. I'm going to now turn to Cheryl Hendricks uh, to offer any reflections as you do your wrap up as well of, of, of the event. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Owino. Um, I'll first just speak a little bit to this and then do my formal wrap up. Um, and I think that the various speakers have uh, covered much of what I want to say. It is about power relations. It is about, you know, those who stay the course, just, just see how marginalized they have become. Look at our Patricia McFadden's, et cetera. So, so, we have to have an understanding of the power dynamics there. Um, and we have to reflect on our institutions and how our institutions actually perpetuate the kind of systems that we have been rebelling against 
for decades. So it's not that we have not tried and that we are still not trying. We, we have formed the, the kinds of organizations that we needed, the, the SAPES, the uh, Cadestria, the Austria, etc. But they too become marginalized in these spaces. And then you have to look at the ways in which we are incorporated. And so if we just reflect very briefly, on that period 2015 to 2017, when I was actually at a university at UJ at the height of that decolonization uh, movement with students and the kind of technocratic approach to deal with what was fundamentally a political issue. Um, so it was simply about adding on black scholars to a curriculum rather than looking at the curriculum in itself and how um, it perpetuates the marginalization of um, African knowledge systems, uh, African scholars, etc. It was not just about adding Franz Fanon onto your curriculum. Um, if we don't unpack the ways in which our very institutions perpetuate the system, whether they the NRF uh, and yes, like this, the HSRC or um, a UNISA, because we have not built that African university. We have universities in Africa, but we have not built the African university that we have spoken about and that we um, still aspire to. So I think those, those are my brief reflections. I think that, um, and this is something that Desiree and I wrote about as well. We, we need to reflect on the ways in which we included women into our universities, the, the formation of um, women's studies departments and how they remain on the periphery and how many of them have been actually closed down within our universities as well. Um, and then use that as a marker for what could possibly happen and is happening in relation to um, decolonized knowledge and its, and its place within our established universities. Uh, with that, Awina, if you don't mind, can I go on to closing? Yes, please, Cheryl. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Honorable Deputy Minister Buti Mamela, Principal and Vice-Principal, Vice-Chancellor uh, Prof Lenka Bula, both in their absence now, I think. Uh, Vice Principal Prof. Paul Sitole, Prof. Alakushi, uh, Paswana, Dr. Uh, Shivasa, and our very able panel chair, uh, Dr. Akech, and program director, uh, Palisa Sekehana, and last but not least, our CEO, Prof. Lightness Sambahi, and uh, Ms. Swana, the representative of the Mafeji family, thank you for making this a memorable eighth annual Archie Mafeji lecture. The theme for this year's lecture was lessons from Mafeji's theories and positionality of African uh, on science of African on science and innovation. And, and I think that you have brought very rich insights, not only into Mafeji's work, but as we've been speaking uh, about our current debates, our current positionality on decolonizing knowledge uh, at our universities and as a whole. I think that the discussion has been uh, extremely insightful, thought-provoking and inspiring. The 
production and exchange of ideas and knowledge about Africa by Africans is central to the mission of AISA. And today we got to the heart of what this project is in relation to our, our universities more broadly um, and to STEM in particular. We know that Archer was against Eurocentrism, a system of knowledge with all its related institutions and structures of power that privileges Europe as not only the originator of knowledge, but through whose lens we also have to evaluate what is and is not knowledge, how we interpret what is in front of us and place value judgments on it and what shapes what we aspire to. He therefore saw, sought to counter the lack of acknowledgement and appreciation of non-Western epistemologies. And he was very direct in his challenge to anthropologists, to liberals, to Marxists alike, who continued to view African realities through their own experiences and to categorize our lived experiences as inferior or as stumbling blocks to progress. And sadly, as we have heard this, battle is still underway. We saw this in the global calls for decolonization of knowledge from 2015 to 2017. And through the voice, and though the voices of students may be silenced yet again, this is not a struggle that is going to disappear. It is going to be with us until we actually change this particular system. I think that we in the humanities may have wrestled with the issue of emancipatory knowledge far more than those in the natural sciences. Um, and indeed, as I was speaking, I recall the days at UJ when we were going through that supposed moment of rupture, uh, the retort of some of the scientists and how dumbfounding and reductionist they actually were. We had to hear silly things like one and one is two in every culture and that how we understand the functioning of a heart and how it operates is the very same in all cultures, i.e. telling us that the decolonization of knowledge is not applicable to the natural sciences. And we witnessed the naming of attempts to decolonize maths, for example, at I think the, the debate was at UCT as amounting to quote unquote neo-Bantu education. There was no questioning of how we came to know what we know and how it is applied and what insights we can gain from other knowledge systems. And this is a struggle that I'm sure remains with STEM and indeed, uh, as indeed it still remains with the social sciences. As much as we speak about the need to rethink development, political, social, and economic, using African traditional knowledge systems, as well as the need for transdisciplinarity or non-disciplinarity, we are not there yet. I was part of an interesting discussion a few days ago. Um, many of you who know me, you know I work on conflict management. Uh, and so we were questioning the dominant model for conflict prevention that still prevails designed in Europe. Uh, and this continued belief that Europe has the answers to our woes. It has the answers to not only, uh, sorry, it has not only the diagnosis but of the problem, but also for how we need to remedy it. And the, the prevailing mantra is still there about weak states, neo-patrimonialism, et cetera. And then the, the remedy is good govern, governance without interrogating their complicity uh, in the situation we find ourselves in, in Africa. 
And this, this continued kind of civilizing quest that seems to drive them, especially for those of us who work in the area, area of peace and security, how we feel it. And I think uh, Adibaya, you were speaking to this as well. We, we then asked the audience uh, to imagine someone, um, I think the example used was Burkina Faso, but it can be any country in Africa, going to one of the countries in Europe to give advice on what was ailing uh, their particular society and prescribing untested remedies that they should be applying. I flipping the scenario. And then it, it only begins to sink in what it is they are doing. So our responsibility, I think, as Africans is then to have the frank and honest conversations, first and foremost, with ourselves, and then with others. I think I took a lot home from this particular lecture. I, I'm not going to repeat all of it. I wrote quite a bit. I'm, I'm really appreciative of, of all the insights gained here today. I'm not going to go through that again. I want to say how grateful I am also for a younger generation of academics uh, who are reflecting on Mafeji's work uh, and beginning to see its relevance for today's settings. I also want to pay tribute to uh, Dr. Vuyo Mahlati, who was our keynote speaker last year and who passed away so unexpectedly for her contribution to women's empowerment and to assisting the country with uh, the transformation of the agricultural sector. Um, Archie was one of many intellectual giants and I still believe that there's room for that intergenerational conversation to take place between our thought leaders on the continent so that we don't learn um, of their work retrospectively, but we engage now to see how we can use the work to think through our vexed challenges of poverty, unemployment, democratization, underdevelopment, and how we can then employ uh, a decolonized STEM in the pursuit of their redress. The previous scholars who presented at this lecture series were people like Danny Nabadere, uh, Chrissy Pra, Fred Hendricks, Francis Nyamjo, Eva Mandaza, Brian Raftopoulos, uh, Jimmy Adesina, Michael Nyakosmas, um, Fuyo Mahlati, Pat McFadden, uh, Toko Didiza, et cetera. They and many more represent some of the people we need to have in a room with younger scholars for the critical conversations on what knowledge has been produced, where the gaps are, and how um, to use some of this knowledge going forward um, to, to shape and frame our approaches. For me then, it is just by way of closing to say thank you to everybody who contributed to making this eighth Archie Mafeji lecture a successful event, uh, the panelists, participants, but also those behind the scene, uh, a great big thank you to Palisa for pulling all of this together, our communications and IT teams, Ilsa, Adzi, Tabo, Masejo, etc. And also, uh, Grateful to hear from um, Puleng that UNISA is thinking of reopening the Archimafeji Institute. I think it's very needed. And with that, let me say go well and stay safe till we all meet again. Thank you.
Palisa, I hand over to you. We are closed. Thank you very much, Prof. Um, Cheryl Hendricks. I'd like to thank all the speakers that made time to prepare for this um, lecture. I would also like to thank all the participants. We have noted your comments and questions. Um, this morning, we started off a little bit rough due to uncertainty of connectivity, but I think we managed to pull through um, quite well. So I'd like to thank you very much for committing your time to this lecture as um, we understand it's not easy to stay online with the um, cut, uh, power cuts and also the data demands that we are faced with. But nonetheless, nonetheless you made um, the commitment to be with us. And um, I would like to also thank um, the Department of Science and Innovation for being involved in assisting us pull this lecture together. I would like to thank the executive uh, leadership of the Human Sciences Research Council, the panelists, um, and um, I, I want to actually just say, we hope that you can find a home in the Human Sciences Research Council and partner with us um, in future for many other events and uh, critical activities that are for knowledge production purposes. So with those few words, I'd like to say my duty as a program director for this Friday afternoon is off, um, it's finished. And uh, Professor Likeness, if you don't mind, uh, we can now start uh, imbibing in some holy grapes, if you do allow <laughs> us. <laughs> okay. We're, we're Thank doing you, that. Send some, send some over virtually, please. Yeah, so at least, at least I'm protected. I asked for publicly, and then the, the, the permission was also given publicly. So I wish you all the best, and let us not end here with our interactions. Let us continue working together. And uh, Professor Olukoshi, thank you for always having um, the HSRC together. Uh, I mean, giving us the support and really uh, showing up um, for any um, event or intervention and um, information or knowledge that you may have required your support. And we look forward to really maintaining that. And I would like to thank also the Achima Feje family, Zimkita, Ndatil Sandile Swana, Meboni Swana. Thank you so much. And I extend the gratitude to the rest of the family. I know they may have joined um, us through other channels. And let me not forget those who have joined us through the Facebook channel. Um, perhaps the mistake that we might have done was not to check the comments that you have left there, but we will, uh, if there are any comments left on the Facebook page, we will um, uh, make a plan to respond to them. But thank you very much and have a lovely Friday and weekend. Thank Bye. You. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.